tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tinfall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Join me as always uh, in Glendale, home of champions, Xavier Guerrero. Oh, all the champions and, are here. And live from the space station, <laughs> orbiting in our orbit because we've never left our orbit. It's Johnny Woodard. Johnny, how are you? I'm just hanging out up here with the Russians, dude. It's just me and Russians up here. I, they don't speak <laughs> English. It's really, it's really hard to, to like, it, you should see the line for the bathroom. Like, whenever. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Any chicks up there? Any Russian chicks, bro? No, not, none that you would want to to uh, see naked. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, it's rough. Sounds like you've. Uh, sounds like th- there's some weird stuff going up in uh, up in space. Anyways, guys, a lot of great stuff going on. If you want to see me live, I'm gonna be all over the world. Just go to samtriplee.com for all your ticket links. I'm gonna be in Saratoga Springs at the end of the month on September 30th. Myself, Howie Dewey. Come get weird and uh, grab your tickets at samtriplee.com. Then I have some more dates. Kansas City doing some uh, Native American casino. Fresno. We're going to be in Fresno December 30th. I have to put those tickets up and just go to samtriplee.com for all of your needs. And uh, we have a really great show for you today. Please enjoy. All right, so let's get into it, man. Uh, you know, we discussed this gentleman with the, uh, on the episode of Greg Carlwood, and he's finally able to, we made it happen so he, he could make it appear on the show. We're very excited to have him. Uh, he is from the Sunrise Ranch. Please welcome Doug Lindemood. How are you, Doug? Hey, I'm doing great. Doing great, Sam. Well, Doug, I appreciate you coming on our show. I think you're very important, and I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation, you know, this is a conspiracy podcast and we're we're always talking about what's going on in the world, but I think we need to come up with practical solutions to help people deal with the chaos that is going on in the world. So that's why you're here. Uh, Before we get into everything, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you? Uh, well, uh, little, uh, you can find us at sun-riseranch.com. That's our informational site. Uh, so we have a website set up just for people to find information because uh, that's actually sunriseranchstore.com. But uh, sunriseranch.com is just, it's just informational. It's just, you know, the who, what, when, where, how, how did this happen? How did you get into it? What do you know? Um and then from there we link to stores, but our our main goal is is to really get people to to understand their food sources, where they come from, how food is raised, and what it does to our bodies. And so that really emanates from my whole my wife's story. Uh, she was she was very ill and 
2006 and 2007, we faced a crossroads. Uh, we had to decide whether we were going to take the hippie crunchy route of, of physician heal thyself, or if we were going to go down the, the wild and crazy ride of, of pharmaceuticals. And when we decided on the route of physician heal thyself, that letting medicine be thy food and food be thy medicine, we then immediately realized that we couldn't source that. It's kind of a typical problem. People go, well, that's great, but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to grow stuff or I'm trying to sort through a thousand labels that look uh, very enticing and have all pretty pictures of farms, but you flip it over on the back of it and it's got 15 billion chemicals you can't pronounce without a chemistry degree. Uh, and so we started, you know, the vegetable sort of thing was pretty easy, fruits and vegetables. That's, that's okay. You can find organics pretty easy. But the real crunch for us was, was dairy because a lot of our probiotics come from that, our, our uh, active bacteria and good stuff for you. The gut stuff, a lot of that comes from dairy, which is why cheese dates back so many thousands of years. And then the next hurdle was meats. And how do we raise meat? Uh, where do I source meat for my wife who's sick and we had to go through a GAPS protocol. If you're not familiar with that, they're very painful. Um, you know, it's a, it's a gut cleansing and uh, had to do with leaky gut and that sort of a thing. So it was quite an uphill battle for us. And that's, that's really how we got into it. Yeah. And I think uh, people are really, can really resonate with your story. I, I mean, it just seems like we're, we're sicker than ever. Uh, and it just seems like we, we, we trust uh, the medical community uh, and maybe that's fine, but I think we all should, shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. Well, and, hey, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If I'm using a chainsaw on the ranch and we have a li little bit of an accident, I'm trusting the medical community immediately. Yeah. Right. Uh, but if I've, if I've got a long-term illness that is clearly related to my environment, uh, I mean, we're, when we used to run farmer's markets in LA and San Diego County, uh, we would have person after person after family come up to us and say, yeah, you know, we've seen this or, you know, our kids have that or, or we're noticing this. And I, and, and I started looking at it and I started thinking, well, gosh, these folks are from, you know, the South. These people are from the East and, and those folks have a college degree and these people, there's nothing in common except what they're putting in their body. So it's, it's absolutely evident to me that, you know, you said conspiracy theory, uh, you know, a few years ago, that was a conspiracy theory. Now it's reality. And it just seems like everything in our modern day society that we consume easy, right? It's my, my whole thing about simple versus easy, right? Simple tends to be more healthy for you. Easy, anything really quick probably isn't the healthiest thing for you. Uh, a Big Mac, a Subway, a soda, all these things. And even stuff you listen to and you drink. And I mean, you listen, you view with your eyeballs, if it's really like simple, uh, really easy, I think it's a lot of, uh, I think it might not be the best for you. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the basic principles is things that our body, when we consume food, it basically digests it, which is advanced rotting. It's spoilage within your gut. And that's how you get the nutrients out of it. So, so if that principle remains true, Sam, and we throw something up on the shelf and it lasts 50 days, then there's, <laughs> there, and then it clearly isn't going to rot inside your gut either. <laughs> that's true and you know there's that lady that just found a, like a big mac from five yeah. years ago yeah. and it looks exactly the same yeah she see, i saw that I, it was floating around on social media uh yeah for for some boondock rancher who doesn't you know get a lot of time on social media that somehow or another came across my feed and i was like that's fascinating 
So uh, let's get into your history. I know you told us a little bit about your wife got you into what were you doing before that? Did this just open your mind and you went full in to becoming a rancher? Did you ever have any history yeah. of doing that? Great question. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, so if I ever get around to it, I'll finish my book. It's called the accidental rancher. Uh, you're going to die when you hear this. I was a Marine pilot. I, I flew attack helicopters in the Marine Corps. I served 21 years in the Marines. Uh, my wife got sick about uh, two thirds of the way through that career. I had grown up on a cattle ranch. She grew up on a cattle ranch. Um, and we had we had purchased cows just as an investment, but we weren't really paying any, any attention to regenerative agriculture or how cattle are supposed to be raised. But then when we hit that crossroads of, oh my gosh, we've got to actually grow food because we can't seem to source it from anywhere that we feel reliable. Uh, we had to just dive in and we did. We actually, I was kind of nearing the end of my military career. Um, we moved to a small, we were able to lease a small ranch, which is just pretty exciting. Uh, we had some friends who had some extra land we were able to lease and I could continue to kind of work my part-time job to support my farming habit. Uh, and then eventually uh, we bought some milk cows. Uh, those cows, a modern milk cow produces unbelievable amounts of milk. Uh, one of my favorite stories is coming in at night after milking cows for the second time. I'd, I'd been at work all day, came in, milked the cows, came into the, and we had these, this sort of bank of refrigerators in the, in what we called the ranch room. And I opened it up and there, there were, uh, you know, big five gallon jugs of milk in there. I, and it was packed entirely full. I don't know if you know, but a, a, a modern uh, heritage breed milk cow will give you like 12 gallons a day. And uh, I called out to the kids and I, I said, uh, Hey, did you guys get some milk? And they go, yeah, dad, we had milk with cereal for breakfast. And I said, okay. Yeah. Uh, honey, are, uh, did you use any milk today? And she goes, yeah, I had some in my coffee and I've had a few cups and we put some cream in the, you know, in the coffee. And I, I go, okay. And I'm standing there with two five gallon milk jugs. And I go, what the heck am I going to do with all this? Ah. And my wife said, yeah, I, I came in, I said, honey, we're out of refrigerator space. And she goes, yeah. I go call every person, you know, and tell them we got milk. And so we had this <laughs> line of cars showing up at our, at our ranch and we're handing out milk bottles and they go, do you want anything for this? I said, no, just take it and be gone. Well, that didn't stop the problem because the cows just kept on producing. That's mm -hmm. something you can't shut off. Trust me. <laughs> but, uh, so, so I was, I was flipping through a magazine one day and I thought, uh, I was reading about something where in the, in the old days, they used to the feed the pigs milk byproducts. So you take milk, you just let it spoil a little, it gets curdled, dump it to the pigs. And so we started, I got a whole bunch of pigs and I started raising these pigs on pasture and giving them milk. Of course, the, the fat content was just out of the world, out of this world. They, they, I remember they would like almost be able to turn, not be able to turn their heads around. They were practically obese uh, because they're, and, and uh, of course, the first few we butchered, we were like, you got to be kidding me. I've never had anything like this before in my life. And we found out that there was this really cool cycle where you could take uh, basically sunlight and water, convert it to grass, which Sam, you and I can't eat that. But a cow could, and then a cow could produce calves. It could produce milk. It could, we fed it to our chickens and we had eggs so hard you could barely crack them. And we started raising our own food. And all of this time, my wife is going through the GAPS protocol, which basically means your life is over. I mean, I'm not kidding you. We're talking 12 hours a day in the kitchen for sure. You got to source everything precisely. You have to read every labels. And she's going through this healing process. And Months are passing by. We're raising our own products. We're actually sourcing our own food. And she begins to heal. She begins to become asymptomatic, which is just astonishing. And I was absolutely convinced. I said, okay, that's it. We hit it. This is really, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. I'm working full-time and ranching at night. Um, and, and 
And between that and the fact that our neighbors now are coming and saying, well, could I pay you for this? I go, wait a second, there's a business here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. So we started marketing our product and telling our story. And that's kind of how it happened. Have you ever, um, in Mexico, a lot of my family has cows and they use the milk to make cheese. Have you thought yep. about making that into cheese? They say that that's the biggest moneymaker is the cheese because you they, they'll sell the cows once it's been ready to sold, to be sold, to for it to be butchered up and sold to a meat, meat market. But during that time, they're just milking that, making cheese. And till this day, my dad brings home cheese. He's like, have you tried this cheese? It's from <laughs> yeah, hometown. Yeah. 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 Have, have you thought about that? Yeah. Do you have a, a, a snorkel or a, a, a regulator that I can use? Because I'm so far underwater, I couldn't. Oh, you couldn't hear that? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I'm kidding oh. with you. It was okay. a joke. I, I am as a rancher. I'm, I'm, you know, already at 16 hours a day. So adding a cheese operation would be just over the top for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and believe me, I've got a long list of exciting and cool ideas. Cheese is on on there someday, but that requires a pretty precise facility and and that sort of thing, and um, and a lot of skill. Um, so you know, that is something we'd love to do, but it's it's we are just so swamped at this point. I mean, just trying to keep everything going. And, uh, we, you know, take on interns throughout the winter or throughout the summer. And we just finished up that. And then we've got the guest ranch, which is running where people actually come and visit and that sort of thing. So we're pretty busy. I'd love to do cheese. I think that's an excellent idea, but it's, it's, uh, it's pretty far down on the list. I'm, I'm still trying to get the fences fixed. Hey guys, if you get a chance, check out the website, samtripoli.com for all things, Sam Tripoli, everything, all my other podcasts, like we just dropped a new broken sim called Shit Detectives, uh, and it's super funny. Check it out. Uh, I got T-shirts for sale. I got uh, I got a brand new T-shirt. All my all my heroes of Shadow Band. Great way to support the show. Also, if you're looking for another way to support the show, we have premium content. All of us on the show have premium content. Most of it's on Rockfin.com. Go to Rockfin.com and either look up Tim Fall Hat. Broken Sim, Zero, my spiritual podcast, Conspiracy Social Club, We Don't Smoke the Same. You can get all five of those shows with multiple shows put out every week for $10. Only $10 gets you all of those shows. Also, I was voted best content creator based on a Twitter poll that got 300 people voted. Okay, number one. So go check that out. Uh, all my shows. I have free content for you too. Just go to uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, put in Sam Tripoli. We got a ton of them. We got uh, Tim Fall Hat, Broken Sim, Cash Daddies is on Fire, Punch Drunk Sports, Union of the Unwanted. If you love Tim Fall Hat, you love Union of the Unwanted. And then I do old episodes of Conspiracy Social Club and Zero. Cash Daddy is a great financial show. We also have a Patreon for that. Just go to patreon.com slash cash daddies. And real quick, I want to tell you about our friends at Copy My Crypto. Guys, listen, the recession is underway. Fuel is through the roof and food prices are insane. People are beginning to lose their homes. But there can be a massive positive to this because recessions are where more wealth is made than in any other time in the economic cycle. Take the last recession. Those who invested in property and stocks more than doubled their money inside two years. But no market rose like crypto where people made 10, 50, even 100 times over the same period. That's what James McMahon did. 
On his Crypto with James YouTube channel, he told his 21,000 subscribers to invest in the same 26 coins that he did. Had you invested $100 into each of those coins, you'd have been in profit for more than $123,000. $1,000! Wow. His top pick of the year, a crypto called Phantom, went up a staggering 692 times. And remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify it yourself. James will be sharing every coin he buys during this recession on his Copy My Crypto membership site. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest. You simply copy James. So to join the 2,800 members who copy James, go to copymycrypto.com slash Sam. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash S-A-M. It's your call. You can thrive in this recession or be another victim. Go to, go visit the site and read every word now. Danny, what kind of farm did you grow up on? I, uh, well, I mean, we have cattle, we have, you know, hundred so head of cattle now, uh, it's all just, they, I mean, they're all just pasture fed and we supplement that in the winter with, uh, hay that we've stored up. And then, you know, my dad, my dad trains horses, uh, and then we have chickens too, but yeah, the, the cattle were my grandfather's, uh, growing up on the farm. And then when he passed, kind of got passed down to us. I mean, we all pitched in, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's more than full-time labor. I mean, especially when you, when our operation works such that we grow our own hay too. So we, it's kind of a closed, you know, closed circuit. And yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. we spend the whole summer cutting hay and stacking it and storing it. And, you and know, where's where that rough location? State, uh, North Carolina, region? rural North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's middle yeah, of nowhere, so you, North Carolina. Yep. So you, so you have uh, interns and they come learn to do what you do and they go off to do it on their own or yeah, it's exactly? not quite, yeah, it's not quite that simple. It, it, uh, the interns stay for, uh, 90 days. Um, we, we put them in for three months, the first 30 days, uh, and we take interns. We try to take interns that are not from a ranching or farming background. And the reason for that is we do regenerative agriculture, which is, is, uh, you know, we are the, uh, the pariah of the ranching world. Uh, I, I, I like to say that I'm an iconoclast. I can offend just about anybody. Yeah. Um, so I am a, as offensive to uh, uh, my greenie friends uh, that are, you know, far left liberal greenies, whatever, all the way over to the, to the ranchers. They scratch their heads and go, man, you don't, you just, well, I don't, we don't even know what you're doing over there, Doug. Um, and so all of our regenerative agriculture techniques, um, they tend to fit really well on a, on, a, on a slate that hasn't already been written on. So this last summer, we had an intern from L.A. Um, we had an intern. He was a, high, a college, fifth-year college student. Uh, he was a collegiate athlete, amazing kid. Uh, we had two females. One was from uh, Florida. She was a military kid, um, only 16. And then we had another one who was a, a, a grade school teacher. She'd take the summer off and come with us. And the first 30 days there, I mean, we're really, it's, it's, it's a stretch. I mean, we're the first 30 days where I can remember some of our interns, we would show them, you know, I'd say, go over there, grab that electric drill and let's go take this, take care of this. And they wouldn't know what an electric drill was. <laughs> Sounds like Sam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> City boy. So we take them, we take them from electric, you know, what is an electric drill to, to moving and rotating cattle. They're moving 150,000 pounds of cattle uh, with, you know, just by foot. Um, 
we do use horseback, but they're not advanced enough to even get on a horse at that point right. to, uh, to setting up electric fence, to uh, fixing and repairing things. They get a basic welding class. They've done, by the time they're done at their 90 day mark, they've done basically one of everything. Um, and you, you kind of pay up front. So the first 30 days there, they, you, you got to be with them 24 seven. Nope. Don't touch that. Watch out. That's going to hurt you and be careful. Cause that'll roll over and kill you. Um, and then of course, bringing cattle in and processing is just a whole nother, a whole nother animal. No, no pun intended. Uh, in that middle section, they're kind of able to kind of function pretty well, but they st- still need quite a bit of supervision. And I've got great full-time staff that help me with that. And then by the end, they can actually make it through almost an entire workday without ever hearing from you, which is pretty nice. And they're actually moving cows. They're, they're doing all kinds of repairs, taking care of animals, butchering chickens. I mean, they're, they're doing the entire farm uh, operation. So it's an immersion thing. We, we are really careful to say, look, we're not going to make a regenerative rancher uh, out of you in a summer. Uh, we are going to do the best we can to expose you to all that. And then if you choose, you know, if that's something you think you might like, you could come back and uh, apply for the one-year apprenticeship. And then there's a potential for that to become sort of a job or a career. And they stay with you for a year? Uh, If they, if they, yeah. Well, I mean, we have quite a few applicants for three spots. We had almost 30 for three spots. And so only one of them would get, you know, to come back for a year. And that would be after they came back for a second summer. So there's quite a bit of steps involved in that. Um, we can't make a rancher, even in a year, we could barely get you to the point where, you know, you'd need a lot of support and a lot of help. I mean, there's, you got to understand, I mean, uh, we're sort of jack of all trades, master of all, and you've really got to be able to do a, a vast number of things to, to run a grass-fed cattle company or a regenerative ag company uh, and be successful at it. So we would in the past, what we've done is taken on apprentices and then we set them up and get them going, you know, and we actually make them a part of the farm. And then as they progress many years later, they can branch off and actually do their own thing. But it, it's quite a steep learning curve. We, like I mentioned, we really like the kids that haven't done it before. One, they don't have any baggage, so I don't have to unteach anything. Um, we've noticed that if we do have, a, you know, someone that comes from a, a young, a young person that comes from a regen ag or pardon me, a, a conventional ag approach or background, um, the first thing they're, de- they're going to do when they spend their summer here is go back home and say, Hey, mom, dad, guess what? We're going to run. We're going to start moving the cows every day and, and, and start looking at soil and not just profit. Uh, we're going to start cycling the minerals here and, and watching the, the water flows and, and stopping erosion. And we're going to do it this way. And they're going to say, no, you're not. Uh, we've been doing it this way forever and you're not changing it, number one. And the reason for that is if you, if you fail, you, you fail, you've lost the farm. If you succeed, you've inadvertently said that great grandfather and father were wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's a really bad thing in the ranching community. Uh, so they're kind of stuck in sort of this world of, I can't get out and I can't get in. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure what to do with that section of folks. We've never really been able to kind of crack that code uh, because it is such a burden to get over that. Um, but we do have a lot of luck with kids that were uh, pulling shots at a Starbucks with $170,000 in psychology debt. Uh, that needed that n- didn't know that they would have been a rancher had somebody walked up and said, "Man, would you like to hang out on a farm for a year?" I mean, they they just I'm telling you, we've seen kids come out here and 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 they get off the bus and you go, "Holy mackerel, there's no way this is going to work." <laughs> I mean, your pants are around <laughs> your ankles, you're wearing Nikes. We got and we got to move the cows, pal. So um, and what we find is they just blossom. I mean, it, we select them very very carefully. They go through a huge selection process where they write 
write essays and then uh, the family, the core family gets together. We individually rate them. Uh, we do interviews and then uh, we try them out. And, and usually that weeds out very well who's going to be successful and who's not. And then they've got to have heart and soul because that beats anything any day. I don't care how little knowledge you have. If you're willing to work hard, we can make a rancher out of you. And so these kids come out and they just, they just blossom. It's just incredible to see them at the end of the year. And we stay in touch with them and it's, it's a lot of fun. Doug, that's wonderful. I think this is like so important. You know, I've been watching, and this is coming from a guy who's got very little man skills, which very much upsets me because I just had daughters. Like I have two and a half year old daughters and I need to figure out how I'm going to pass skills down to them skills. I don't even have yet. I have to go and figure out how to learn these skills so I can teach them these skills. And, you know, I know you're not on social media, but there's all this man on the street videos and they're interviewing all these generation Z kids and they're asking them basic questions. And a lot of these kids don't have the answers. Now, like Xavier said before, they probably gone through hours. They found five kids and said something stupid to make a video look entertaining. But I get really mad because people blame these kids. And the truth of the matter is, is like, we're not teaching the next generation. Oh, no, no, we're skills. absolutely not. No. Um, you know, I, it's funny. Um, we used to say, oh, yeah, we raised, you know, grass fed beef and everybody go, you know, 50 years ago. Was, OK, yeah. So does everybody else. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. But I mean, we're ranchers are, are less than a half a percent or pardon me, less than two percent of the U.S. population are, are farming, ranching in, involved in some sort of agriculture. We don't even rate being counted on the census anymore. And of that, regenerative agriculture is, is less than 2% of that subset. So, um, you know, where we live and the, and the communities we're in, you know, around our ranches, uh, you know, especially the Wyoming ranch, that's a culture. I mean, everybody kind of does it, but geez, there's less than 600,000 people in the whole state. Uh, in California, it's quite a bit different. You know, um, you, you just, we don't even wear a cowboy hat down there because people would say, what's that weird thing on your head? <laughs> uh, so we are very, very, very detached as a society from our agricultural roots, which are really our roots. And we're seeing it in increased obesity, uh, childhood onset autism. Uh, we're seeing it in all these issues that we're having. Why? Because we don't know what's being farmed for us. We're just saying, okay, you two percenters, you take care of that and we'll just eat it. There's, so there's a collective sort of ignorance, if you will, about how sh food should be raised. And then there's a tremendous ignorance in terms of what it's actually doing to our bodies. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, here's a, a real quick. We're going to take a moment to uh, hear from our sponsor. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Miracle Brand. Here's a fun fact for you. Did you know traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? Oh, it can lead to. Yeah gross it can lead to acne allergies stuffy nose and it's gross super gross america brand offers a whole line of self-cleaning eco-friendly bed bedding such as sheets pillowcase comforters and prevents 99 of bacteria and requires three times less laundry okay using Silver infused fabrics, okay. Miracle brand sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at your perfect temperature all night long so you get a better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with natural silver that prevents 99.9% .9 of the bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than those sheets. 
No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands. The sheets use a premium 500 thread count sateen weave that's made with USA grown Supima cotton, which is one of the highest quality cottons in the whole world. That's incredible, Johnny. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Please stop sleeping on bacteria, people. Clean sheets mean less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. So here's what we need you to do to battle the bacteria. We need you to go to trymiracle.com slash tinfoil. Okay. That's trymiracle.com slash tinfoil to try today and we we've got a special deal for our listeners be sure to use the promo code tinfoil at checkout to save 40 percent and get three free towels miracle is so confident in its product it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee so if you aren't 100 satisfied you'll get a full refund Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash tinfoil and use the code tinfoil to claim your three, your free three-piece towel set and 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash tinfoil. Thank you, Miracle Brand, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I want to get into this. Thank you, guys. I want to get into this. How are you different from conventional agriculture? You've told us a little bit about it, but the specifics of like kind of what you're doing different than everybody else. I mean, we get a good understanding so far, but the meats and the guts of all of it. Yeah. Well, the basic difference, Sam, is that we focus, a conventional rancher is going to focus on, on what makes money. And that is just basic economics. Nobody would fault them for that. It makes perfect sense. And that's how we've raised animals in this country for many years. What, um, so that, that entails working with, you know, from the hoof up, if you will, right? That, that cow that produces a calf is going to give me my money, right? The calf is, you know, the cow is bred to a bull. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with that process, I'll <laughs> leave that up to your imagination. Uh, and what is produced from that uh, every, every year on it, you know, they have the same gestation cycle as humans. So nine months later, you have a calf, which is going to be either a bull calf or, or, a, or a heifer calf, either a female or a male. Those are then sold. And that's when the farmer takes in his cash crop. So the, the focus then is on that calf, right? I mean, I want, a, I want a heavy calf. I want one that's going to, they're sold by the pound. So I want one that's going to produce me a larger, you know, I want larger breed stock. I, I need to get my timing right. Uh, it probably doesn't do any good to have a calf uh, who's dropped on the ground in sub-zero temperatures and freezes to death. Likewise, I couldn't have it dropped when there's no grass left in the, in the hay fields. But my focus is the calf. My focus is the calf. In regenerative agriculture, our focus is everything below the hoof. And the theory here is that if we focus on all the microbiology, the mycorrhizal fungi network, the water infiltration that's created by plants growing deeper, uh, thicker pastures, um, healthier soils, better nutrient cycling, better, better water cycling, uh, less erosion, uh, manure distribution, which is basically our fertilizers. If I can focus on that, I'll get the cows thrown in for free because I'll get a, I'll get a, a grass crop and that'll grow more cows. So the basic thought is my ranch is a solar panel. Now, if I cover up half my solar panel with brush and just bare dirt, I'm only going to get half the power. But if I can find a way to grow more grass, I can then grow more cows. And if I can grow more cows, I can grow, I, I can have better money. The weird thing that's odd about this, 
and this is where you got to hang with me, is that if I grow more grass, I can actually sequester more uh, atmospheric carbon because those are usually perennial grasses. That is, they live all year long and they'll take atmospheric carbon, suck it down and put it back into the ground. Well, why do we have a carbon problem? Well, because we pumped it out <laughs> in terms of petrochemicals, burned it through a diesel engine and put it in the atmosphere. So we actually, in what is probably, I think, one of the greatest strokes of irony in the modern world is the cow, which produces more grass by grazing. It's the same principle that grandma pruned her rose bushes. It produced better roses. We can do the same thing. We can prune our grasses and let them recover. We'll have better grasses. We'll have more carbon sequestration. The cow is actually the answer to the carbon sequestration problem. And in typical human fashion, what did we do? <laughs> we demonized it. And we it's said, oh, no, it's that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. The cow's the problem. And, and all of us ranchers that know this are going, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You actually hit the one target you weren't supposed to, guys. You, you, hit, you fired a shotgun and you killed the one thing we're supposed to not kill. The basic principle, and we know this, right? You, you've you've uh, cut your grass and come back up from vacation. You cut your grass every day and it grows thicker and richer and faster. And then you go on vacation one day, it grows really, really tall, really long. And then it goes to seed and it stops growing. So if I stop grazing grass, it's going to stop growing. But if I prune it and graze it and allow it to recover, it'll grow thicker, richer, better, faster, and also sequester more carbon. Well, you know, if I, I've been doing this conspiracy show for a very long time so when you tell me that they're actually telling us the wrong thing that completely fits into the narrative <laughs> of what is up is really down was down is really up so when i go on some shows and they're trying to convince me that you know cow farts and cow burps are the reason why our 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 planet is cooling i mean it's getting too warm uh, I, I just got to laugh, man. I just got to laugh. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I didn't even have the information you just told me, which blows my mind, that it's actually the opposite. It, it, yeah, yeah. It, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's just, it's astonishing. I mean, there's there's hardly words to describe it, especially when you're on our end going. Now, I, I don't want to be misunderstood or misconstrued on this point. It's very, very vital that we understand this. The answer is not more cows or less cows. The answer is what we're doing with those cows, Sam. So on our ranch, we have, so for example, on one of our ranches, we have a thousand acres. We don't just throw our cows out there and hope that they find the grass. We actually confine them with electric wire, which is very lightweight and portable. It comes on a reel. And we can precisely put our cows almost shoulder to shoulder in any one given area for a very short period of time. And we call that a cow grazing day. So that grass in that area, Sam, is experiencing tremendous grazing pressure. Now, we've never had an original thought in our entire lives. This came from nature. If you look, <laughs> you can ask my wife. If you look at how the buffalo ran, they ran shoulder to shoulder. Everybody's seen the movie Dances with Wolves, right? They ran shoulder to shoulder in tremendous pressure, usually spurred on by predator packs as well, you know, something that caused that behavior. And they, even in peaceful grazing, they were very tightly packed because that's how the, that's how the, the uh, cohort protected itself, right? The, the weaker animals were put in the middle, the stronger animals are on the outside, the predators are pressuring, and they're, they're taking a bite, pooping and moving, taking a bite, pooping and moving. It's a, it's a pattern we see in nature. 
That's all we do on our ranch. It's, it's that simple. We confine our animals, 150,000 pounds of, of animal pressure, tremendous pressure. Uh, I mean, when we move cows out of an area, it looks like an NFL football team played a practice there uh, on a rainy day. And then we do something magical. We put up a back fence or we leave that area so that it's partially fenced in, uh, with electric wire. We have lots of these systems that we use and they're very portable and lightweight. And we make sure that the cows don't go back for as much as sometimes as much as 180 or 200 days, 300 days. And that allows the grass to grow. And you see what we've done is we've done, used the same principle that builds muscle in humans, right? I mean, Sam, if you're lifting weights in the, in the, in doing a bench press, I'm not going to walk up to you and say, Oh, let me get that for you. Right. Yeah. You understand that the, the stronger, we, the more we use a muscle, the more we exercise it, the stronger it grows. It's the same principle with grass. The more I abuse it, if I give it rest time, right? We can't have you bench press every day, 24 hours a day forever. And so if I allow that grass to rest, if I time it, if I'm the orchestra conductor, while my cows are the individual instruments, I'll see grass grow back in a, in a thicker stand. I'll, I'll start to see uh, stemmy plants, which are like tap-rooted stemmy plants, which we see all over Southern California. That's the precursor to desertification, if you're not familiar. That's the next step is a desert. If you look at the hills of Southern California that have been cattle-free since 93, quote unquote, when they moved all the cattle off the federal grazing, those hills are now solid brush. And that's the next step will be barrenness. And pretty soon you'll basically have the Sahara, Sahara Desert, which is going to, that's where we're headed in SoCal. Um, but as we do regenerative agriculture grazing, what we notice is the brush begins to go away because the cows are grazing the grass they want. They're grazing what they prefer in their taste buds, what they, what they find palatable. And that grass responds by growing. Well, what dies? The brush, the stuff that starts fires that burn at, you know, thousand degrees, the stuff that, you know, so we can actually solve a fire problem with cattle if used properly. They got to move all the time. We move cows sometimes two or three times a day on our ranch. A day. They're, wow. Yeah. No they're never, they're never, you would, if you drive across uh, a, a lot of ranching communities, you'll see little black dots on the horizon. Those are cows. They're not designed. They were never made to be that spaced out. They should be almost shoulder to shoulder, butt to butt moving around and eating everything in its sight and pooping and, and tilling up the soil with their, with their hoofs and then moving on. Um, that's so because that's how the predators would have kept them moving. The predators would have done that in nature. Is hmm. there any way America could eat the, the way you you grow you, you grow your cattle. Is, could it be done in a weird kind of way? Well, they say yeah, no, not everybody. American. On yeah, a mass, say, on a, you mean yeah. on like a mass scale, right? Could yeah, it be done they, on a mass they scale? say it can't be done. You you could. Do you see it possibly done if it was ran by you? I don't know who they are. I'd like to talk to them. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, they they say no. Not everybody. Not everybody in the United States could eat grass fed. So what do you say? Like, like uh, I think I critics? think there's not a. I think there's not enough political will to make it happen. Because that's why they're pushing beyond me. The reason they're pushing beyond me is saying that we can't feed America unless Listen, that's the way a they're doing lie. it now. We talked about that on Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. They 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 subsidize cattle and farming because what they said was that they didn't want to flood the market with meat because then the price would bottom out. And that's just let you know that there's more than enough to feed everybody. Uh, they just don't want to do that because, you know, I mean... If you want to ask me, it's all dark arts and low frequency demons and all that stuff. And <laughs> I know that's the weird stuff, but 
That's my honest belief. That listen, we could have a million arguments and you could have a pushback on everything, but if you're like, well, these people are trying to lower our frequencies because they made deals with de- demons, that lot li- that lines up with me. And I know that's a crazy talk right there for a different a different show, but I mean no, actually this show, but I'm telling you, there's uh there's something at work here that they want to get us on this, you know, this alternative meat that has so much estrogen in it. Well, let's, yeah. Yeah, no, you've, you've really, you've nailed it, Sam. Um, I I don't know what the conspiracy is. I I may never know. And that's fine. You don't have to know what you're fighting in order to fight. Uh, You just move forward and and put your head down and keep moving the ball one yard at a time. Um, But, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest problems we have with Beyond Meat and that sort of a thing is, is number one is the chemical processing. It's the same concept with the electric cars. That's a wonderful theory. If we could just magically produce an electric car without all the coal and infrastructure and destructive mining to make the batteries. It's the same concept. When you get your package of Beyond Meat, if you were to just lay that right next to something else, yeah, you might get a favorable comparison. But have you talked about the fact that that requires flat land, arable land, farmable land, which we know is a very small percentage? My cows can graze on a hillside. I can take grass on a hillside that you'll never get a tractor on to plant soybeans. And I can grow milk, meat, hide, and protein. I mean, I, I, we can do any, and those cows are going to convert that from grass, which you can't eat, which is just basically a product from sunlight and water. In addition to that, it requires a monocrop. What do you have to do to get a monocrop? A monocrop is just one plant in a field. Now, step out anywhere you want. Well, you're in LA, so you really can't step out too far. You'd have to go way east or way north or yeah, way east or way north. But walk out into a field sometime up in kind of central California, just a natural field, and look at count the number of species you see. I mean, one thing we know about nature is it's incredibly diverse. You're never going to find one thing, acre after acre after acre. That's a sign of man. That's man has done that. And the only way to get that is chemicals and genetic modifications. So I've got to spray like crazy, and I've got to genetically modify. In addition to that. The reason that we have riparian areas and diversity is so that it'll support many cultures of animals that grow from the grass kingdom, right? The herbivores and the ruminants. Well, they're not going to just want to, I mean, my cows won't do it. If I put them on a straight alfalfa field, they'll go, oh, that was great for like 15 minutes. And then they start looking around for something to balance their diet. So it's, it's anti-nature to, to raise these massive amounts of soybeans and all this stuff that's required and then combine it with all these chemical processes to make something that looks like a hamburger, but really isn't a hamburger and nobody wants anyways. Yeah. 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 Or you could just have a hamburger. I mean, or like, you could so just have a darn hamburger. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's this whole thing that I've been talking about forever, which is the farther you get away from nature, the more dangerous it gets psychologically, spiritually, physically it just gets worse and worse and worse and and it's just everyone thinks they can rewrite everything that man has been doing for thousands and thousands of years it's not meant to be like that there's a reason why things have been like that you can't just rewrite the way we operate now there's new ways of thinking all that stuff we can incorporate it in to what we're doing a maybe a more open mind 
to other things, but that doesn't mean we just completely scrap what was done before and go with this all new thing, especially ran by people that don't participate in what they're preaching. You know, it's like climate change as they fly in private jets, right? It's like wear a mask as none of them wear a mask, right? And it's just the hypocrisy. It's like, just start asking these questions and it just starts keeping it simple. These giant Giant cities that we live in aren't meant to be lived in. This is yeah. a free range psych ward. You know what I'm saying? This is they're they're running psychological operations, and we need to get back to nature. Can everybody get back to nature? Personally, I say, yeah. I mean, you think there's too many people? You gotta get out of the big city and go drive through, you know, like Iowa or or, or Oklahoma, and you just drive. I mean, there's a drive to. The, to Phoenix, Arizona, where you go 80 miles and there's nobody. Now, I don't know if you want to live in the desert, but there's just giant parts of this country that are just empty. So if you yeah. think there's too many people, you need to get out of the big city. I want to ask you something real quick. But, yeah, but, you go ahead. Um, Absolutely. Here's a word from our sponsor real quick. So thank you. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you're facing as a, you know, a, a small non-industrial farm? Well, the entire industrial system is 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 set up for the large producers. There are four companies that own 85% of all meat production in the US, okay? So those processors are buying cattle from individual ranchers. Um, that the individual cattle ranching system on the production side, that cow calf operator that grows cattle, that actually raises cattle, that has yet to be conquered by the industrial system. The chicken system has already been conquered. The pork system has already been conquered. Uh, cattle is the last stand. And part of the reason it's a last stand is if, if you notice the first two that have fallen, they uh, require feed. They require something to feed them, right? We have to give them a, some sort of feed. And that feed, because they are monogastrics, that means they have one stomach. They're not ruminants. That feed competes with us in the food system, right? So if I'm feeding grain to a a chicken or grain to a pig, it is taking grain from somewhere else in the system, which humans eat. The one thing that's unique about cattle is they don't compete with us in the food system. I can't eat grass. I've mentioned that three times in our interview, <laughs> right? I keep saying it over and over again, because the ruminant is the is a very, very unique link that allows us uh, liberty like we've never experienced before, because we can eat and get something valuable from that cow, which it is getting from, from something that we can't use. So that's probably why it hasn't fallen yet. But why did I mention that all of this is consolidated and in a gigantic silo? Because anything that's consolidated takes away freedom. And anytime we have freedom taken away, we have centralized control. And, and if you, if you, if you want to know where the, what the history is on that, just go back to the American Revolution. We didn't like centralized control. Uh, unfortunately, we're marching towards that slowly because of convenience and security. Um, right. I mean, it's a lot easier to police four food food uh, producing companies than it is 4,000 or 50,000 or 4 million. But we believe that that diversity produces security as well if you go fully in the opposite direction. In other words, Sam, if you and the guys on the show all get beef from Doug and Doug's a good guy and he isn't going to give up at the end of the day and the government comes down and says, that's it, we're doing this. And Doug says, Ah, up yours. I'm still giving food to Sam and the guys at the show. <laughs> you just you just found the most secure food system you could possibly have, right? That guy's not going to abandon you. He's your rancher and you're his you're his customer. There's a one to one link. So we get we get that 
uh, a community, that sense of community. We get that sense of, uh, we get the sense of accountability, right? Sam, if you get sick and you only eat my meat, I got a, I got a sneaking suspicion. There's one guy you're calling, right? right. right. But if, if you go through a, a, a Wendy's drive-through and you get sick, who do you call? Well, you call the USDA and they say, great, we'll start an investigation or, and then they contact the centers for disease control and they do a test on something, but they're never going to trace that one molecule of cow all the way back through the thousands of cows that came into that hamburger because it went through an industrial system. You're just never going to have it. And so the biggest challenge we face is ignorance of the food system. We have people that come out to the guest ranch in Wyoming. Uh, they'll spend a few days here and they'll just they'll just literally, their minds are blown. They, first of all, they haven't been away from Wi-Fi for that long in their lives, right? <laughs> they got to, they got to run over to the cookhouse, which is that kind of central facility where, where we all eat. And they got to stand within 10 feet of the Wi-Fi signal and check their email. Well, pretty soon after about three days, they go, that sucks. I'm just going to go ride a horse. Right? <laughs> I'm going to go out and look at the cows. I'm done with that. Well, they'll get it. to me later. If there's an emergency, they'll send a, a smoke signal. My point <laughs> is this, the first thing that they do is they, is there's a mindset change. And then the next thing we see is there's a connection. They go, wait a second, I'm, I'm, this is actual real food that I'm eating. I mean, they we're having chicken tonight that they perhaps harvested last week on the ranch. And I'm seeing how the chickens are being raised. So, so there's a whole different mindset that begins to happen. Remember I said we, had an, we have an agrarian history. We're, we're, we're an agricultural society that's detached from agriculture. So there's this full disconnect. It's like... Um, it's like having some piece of kind of feeling inside of you, but you don't know what the connection is, right? You just can't make the connection. And people, when they really come in contact with a food supply, with a real producer that's one-on-one, -on -one, they go, oh, wow, I had no idea eggs were supposed to be that color on the inside. Well, yeah. Why is that? Well, watch how the chickens are grazing, you know? <laughs> Let me show you where that comes from. And they go, wait a second, I get it. Now you are inoculated against the prettiest label on a package you could ever find. You just know exactly what you want and need because you know why. And so it doesn't matter what the outside of that egg carton says. It could say all the keywords, farm, fresh, water. You just go, well, no, that's not, none of that may be true. Let me crack one open and see what color it is. Let me see well, how high the eggs stands. be on the inside. What's that? What's that? Is there a certain color that eggs need to be on the, on the inside? Yeah, they should be bright orange. We've got a picture of one on our Instagram, uh, and we describe all the all the all the poly. You got to scroll down quite a ways, but we describe what you're looking for. They should have number one. They should be dark, rich orange color that indicates high beta carotene content. Beta carotene only comes from rapidly growing green grass in an animal cycle. So you could say I have pastured chickens, and we can have that label. You can quote meet the USDA technical requirements for pastured chicken or free range eggs and not, not have orange oaks. And we go, well, look, you're a liar. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're skirting the rules. They should be dark orange because beta carotene comes from grass. Grass comes from the field and they have to have, they have, to have continued access to grass. We, we rotate the chickens behind our cows. They go behind our cows. They are pasture sanitizers is what they do. They basically pick through cow patties and eat flies. Why do I do that? Well, number one, it makes extremely healthy chickens. So they eat grass and they go through cow patties and they eat flies and eat bugs. A vegetarian fed chicken is the worst invention in the world. Don't get it. And then they make really great eggs. And, the, and then I don't have to spay, spray pesticides on my ranch because I have no flies. All my fly larvae is gone. You go on a cattle ranch today and you're constantly swatting your face. You go on our ranch, there's no flies anywhere because we have a natural chicken herd that that's what they or chicken uh, uh, crop. That, that, and that's what they do. They basically go around and pick all the patties apart and do pasture sanitization for us.
Well, now you you mentioned something there that I wanted to ask about. Uh, yeah. You mentioned pesticides. Do you? I, I don't know much about the plant life where you are, but do you? Uh, do you have a, ch- a challenge with respect to uh, perhaps species of plant that are dangerous for the cattle, or, or you know, maybe start to overwhelm the 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 field? And how, how do you manage that, or is is that kind of managed naturally because of their selectivity? They select, yeah. So uh, here's the thing: if I've got a cow that grazes that grazes poisonous plants, um, she's immediately going to come out of production. So we we are we are uh, ruthless, aggressive um, selectors when it comes to our cattle. We need cows that perform very well on pasture. They have to be excellent mothers. They have to convert grass to milk, meat, and hide at a at a very high rate. Uh, they need to uh, not fall into a creek and drown. They need to not. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Can, can, can you? It, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. You're saying that you you actually select for cattle that won't eat poisonous plants. Is that what you're saying? Well, the cows will will not. Well, I mean, my cow herd won't. It, that that happened a long time ago. So my cow herd will not graze poisonous plants. Wow. But if I okay. if I somehow or another got that genetic strain within my my herd, you would want to ruthlessly eliminate it as quickly as possible. And I mean, you would say, okay, you can have your calf this year, but next year you're gone. Okay. You're going to Camp Butcher for the summer. Um, what does that so, mean exactly? For someone that doesn't know, what does dangerous plants mean exactly? What what what, what happens to the cow? Oh uh, well, they can get sick and die. Um, for example, oh. there's a plant on in our Wyoming ranch that uh, is called greasewood, and when its leaves fall in the fall, uh, it's poisonous to calves uh, in too much quantity. It's, it has too much toxins, and it'll kill the calf. Uh, so we want to see a mother that will not graze in that area because she's got a calf by her side. And we want her to teach her calf and pass on that genetic trait of, hey, watch out. This is dangerous. Just like you would tell your kids, this is a part of town you don't want to go to. We're looking for, remember, there's no natural selection occurring on cattle ranches anymore. Uh, we don't have a natural wild uh, uh, wolf pack anymore that goes and takes out the weaker lynx. We have to do that. That's a rancher's job. So he's going to look for He's got, we have a certain set of performance parameters that we're selecting for. And if they're not meeting that, they can't stay on the ranch as a mother to produce offspring. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's really simple. Um, Another great example is, you know, we talk to ranchers all the time that use hormones, their growth hormones, you know, just like, uh, you know, I don't know, just like a bodybuilder would use uh, testosterone, not very natural, right. But it's, it's going to get the job done. You're going to build a lot of muscle. And so we simply don't, we, we don't do that. People, you know, we talk to ranchers and they go, well, that's why I do that. I, I want a heavier crop. And I go, why don't you just select for a heavier crop? Well, because that's painful, right? I've got to get rid of cows that I like. And, you know, I've got to, I've got to do a hard job, which is go out and select and, you know, make judgments. I've got to track everybody and go, well, this cow had that calf and that calf is not doing as well as I'd like. And I've got to weigh things and judge them. And I've got to exercise my skills. Um, so what we do is, is we, we do all of those things. We keep track of which cow had what, what uh, son or daughter, which bull or uh, heifer calf. And we judge that and we rate it on a scale of one to 10. We look for all the qualities we want. We want very short legs. We want really stocky. If it's a, if it's a steer or a young bull calf, we want a very, uh, very small, uh, very large shoulders, very small, butt. opposite on a, on a heifer. We're looking for all those qualities. And then we're saying, okay, number 938, number 939. And and 472 are not going to stick around next year because they really didn't give us the calves they want. Rather than, you know, the easy answer, like you talked about with food earlier, Sam, is, well, let's just do what's easy, right? Let's go get a frozen pizza, yeah. right? Okay, well, let's just inject them with hormones and we'll make a bad, we'll make a good calf out of a marginal one. 
by just using artificial hormones, but that's done nothing for my herd. And what that results in is later on, I have a whole lot less work. I mean, our herds now, we've been doing this so long that they're, they're quite advanced. I mean, we've kind of got the genetics we want, but if we took a new rancher and they just started from scratch, we'd go, okay, go get some cattle and let's start going. And man, you'd probably lose half of them in the first year. And so, you just have to keep their heifers and, and raise them up into mamas and you keep selecting and selecting and selecting until you get what you want. So in a weird way, it's like you're making your own, your own breed, right? Could you eventually sell your cattle to someone else? It sounds like you're like, this, my friends do this with English bulldogs. They keep the ones they like, and then they get rid of the, the ones they don't like. It sounds like, could you sell your cattle in a way and name it something else? Cause you're, you're making them yours. Well, remember though, I'm, I am, I am the pariah. I'm the guy that's outside the conventional system. Like for example, uh, the conventional system wants cattle with very long legs. If you don't know why it's because eventually those cows are going to have calves and those calves are going to go stand in a feedlot and they'll be knee deep in manure for two thirds of their life. Okay. I want cows with short legs because the conversion between grass we call it a conversion. It's, it's where they graze and how it gets into their mouth is perhaps 12 inches less over lots of generations. Remember, we're having a calf every year and I, we're going to be in this business for my kids are going to be in this business. <laughs> we got a hundred year plan to restore the Creek. They've got to stick around. I so, <laughs> so over many, many thousands and thousands of generations, I'm saving energy because the cows are not lifting grass into their mouths. Uh, they're doing it 12 inches less. Right. Or Wait, six now when you left. say saving energy, you mean they burn fewer calories? Is that what they you burn? Mean? Yeah. So the less calories they have convert using grazing, they're actually converting to milk, meat, and hide. So so they're a much more efficient converter or conversion, okay. right? So I'm selecting for cattle that have short legs, right? So nobody would, no conventional rancher would want my cows. They'd go, gee, man, the first thing I got to do is breed longer legs into these things. I got to go find a bull that's got really long legs and then they'd ruin my herd. Well, so if they wanted to do it your way. Your would be the perfect ones to buy right off the bat. Well, sure, but we got to find you know ten thousand crazy ranchers. <laughs> we got to find you... a bunch. Of, we got to find a bunch of lunatics. <laughs> hey, we got them. We got yeah. them. <laughs> you there, guys man. probably. They're you guys probably got listen together. There's there's a bunch of folks listening right now that are like, oh, sign me up. I'll be a nutty rancher. <laughs> uh, dude, you're gonna get flooded, bro. I'm telling you right now. Um. So how often do you, do you have to do this with a cow? How often do you have to have, like, I feel like I'm watching hard knocks <laughs> and they're making, and they're cutting players <laughs> from the team. Yeah. Oh man. Hey, it's, man it's, it's, it's more like, a, it's more like that chef show. What's the one where they get the knife? I mean, house just, kitchen. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. I'm guy. Yeah. I'm guy Fiari of the cattle industry, man. I, I don't have the hair. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but no, it's ruthless. I mean, we're constantly, I mean, we're, well, we have a crop every year, so we go through the judgment process and, and, and we'll look at it and go, you know, in fact, we just brought them all in and got them. Uh, we did one of our ratings and I looked at all the qualities of the calves. It takes a long time. We gotta, we gotta get on horseback. We gotta, you know, get the cows separated from the calves. That's, you know, moms and babies don't like to be apart. So that's a whole, you know, half of a work day there you know, a full work day. And then we, you know, and then they've got to be supplementally fed because they're inside the corral. So we give them some cut hay or something. Um, and then, and then we've got to, we got to judge them. We've got to run them through and judge them based on what we're looking for. You know, we'll sometimes spend quite a few hours out there uh, late into the evening, you know, going, well, I really like 682, but I'm not sure about 670. And then of course we know who the bulls were. Uh, we, uh, uh, we do use natural bulls, but we're moving, uh, we have started moving to a natural, uh, an artificial insemination program where we actually inseminate the cows with semen, 
that is collected from bulls, which we could never afford. So I, I can say buy a, a, a semen tube for one of my cows, it's a few bucks, but that bull might be a $50,000 bull. So I'd never be able to afford the bull, but I can keep, I can get the semen from the bull and use it in my, my growing program. And of course, we keep detailed records on that. So if we do get a calf that we like from a cow that we like, we can look back at the father and say, okay, this was this was the father that we got from that. And, and, and we'll look his number up and his qualities and traits. And we can select based on behavior. Um, you know, I like, I like, I like cows that don't kick, you know, when I'm in the corrals on foot, uh, not on horseback, but on foot, I like a cow that's not going to kick me. Uh, Cause if you've ever had a cow kick and if you're a rancher, you're going to have a cow kick. Oh. Um, they can do anything from, from break your jaw and put you in the hospital for months on end to make you feel really bad for the rest of the day. Yeah, my grandfather um, so we, almost died that way. I mean, he's a oh, couple did he? of times. Yeah. I mean, he got Whoa. also charged a few times by, you know, a protective cow, you know, which I mean, I understandable. I'm sure you select for that too, right? Aggression. Is that? Sorry. Yeah, we do. We want a mother that is just on the edge of charging me. I don't want her to charge me, but I want her to watch me like a hawk. If I pull up to a a calf, she's just had her calf or she's had her calf for a day. And I come up on horseback and I rope it to get it tagged. Uh, I want her, uh, I don't want her charging me, but I want her pretty aggressive. I want her going, Hey buddy, what are you doing? Um, and cows learn. I mean, they, they, we have cows that, you know, don't have any teeth left and they've been in the herd for eight years, giving us calves. And so they know, uh, yeah, that goofball with the weird hat on the horse, he's, he's actually okay. And I just kind of got to get over this feeling. That's a lot different than wait a second, there's a wolf over there. <laughs> that wolf is not wearing a hat. I'm pretty sure I need to take this thing out or protect yeah. the it sounds the like cows. a lot of what you're selecting for is intelligence, right? It, it really is. And cows are actually quite smart and they're very habit forming. When they come into the corrals, they all get in order, uh, you know, numeric order. It's, it's really hilarious. One will be in front of the other and they'll bump, bump each other out of the way until they get into the correct order. Um, so there's a whole pecking order and that sort of a thing. And they're very intelligent. And they're very, um, uh, they're very easy to select from. You can look at it and go, okay, I, I definitely like that behavior. And we carry little notebooks around with us. I mean, we interact with our, most ranchers see their cows, you know, three times a year, right? During processing, during branding, during breeding. Um, we see our cows uh, three times a day. So it's really easy to say, you know, it's like having a high school class, right? You're like, oh yeah, that kid's a jerk. <laughs> or or little Miss Susie, boy, she's straight A's. I, I reckon she'll get this in five minutes. So how, how, what is the natural lifespan of a cow normally? Oh, we, we keep them until they can't go anymore. Um, so, you know, I mean, we, we've seen cows. I, I've got a friend that's got cows that are 10, 11 years old, um, uh, but she'll keep giving you calves uh, for quite a few years. We, we will generally get six, seven, eight years out of a good productive cow. And we want that many. That gives us, you know, 50% of them statistically are going to be boys and 50% are going to be girls. So I can get a lot of replacement out of that. That's called a replacement. When we get a female, we go, Hey, look, you know, we got somebody who can enter the breeding, um, enter the breeding cycle in two years. They're bred at about 14 months. And then of course we need to select a bull. That's not her father. Right. Cause that would produce a big right. problem. And so there's quite a bit of record keeping and quite a bit of, uh, you know, statistical stuff going on. Quick question. Uh, now related to that, do you, if you have a mother die or maybe uh, she has twins and doesn't, doesn't refuses to feed one of them, do you bottle raise the calves or you just sell them? No, we won't. Uh, they generally, we generally kick them out to somebody that's got maybe a little more time than us. Uh, it's pretty tough to bottle raise a calf and it's never going to, unless you have milk cows to go with that, the replacement, uh, what well, they call it replacement milk, which is basically like a, you know, a shake. Yeah. Right? It's, it, it's, it's a powdered like shake a formula. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, we can get, I can, I can walk out in a field and, you know, uh, 10 months later and we can point out the cow that was on replacement. They're small. Yeah. They're always small. So they're usually not going to be worth your time. Uh, We we try to focus on what's going right rather than what's going wrong. And we can give that to some kid who wants to raise a little calf or something. And, you know, they can have a good time with that and kind of learn some basics, but it just does generally it won't pay for itself. Um, so I, we do I, look I, for I'm a mother. You're all about efficiency, right? I mean, the whole operation. Oh yeah, is really. Yeah, we really want efficient. so that the key is to let, and then this goes back to the regenerative principles, which are are you know things like keep the ground covered, uh, low sto- low soil disturbance, and then one of my favorites is be a lazy rancher. We call it cowboy lazy. In other words, let the herd do the work for you. They'll they'll select. They'll do that sort of thing for you. You just have to be, like I said, the orchestra conductor. I don't have to play the violin. I've just got to tell them when to come in to make this all sound right. And then you must have learned a little bit of this from someone else. Is there someone else that does that has a, a, yeah, like yours? Yeah, a little bit? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I told you, I was a Marine helicopter pilot. I knew how to fly, fire Hellfire missiles, right? I mean, <laughs> we could hit a tank from three, 3.4 clicks away, but I, I, I didn't, you know, I mean, no, this, I mean, I can remember scooping manure when I was in high school on a, on the cattle ranch, but that was a conventional farm and we did a lot of haying and that sort of thing. We don't hay our fields. Um, we graze our cows through in the winter. So cows will snow graze. Most ranchers don't know that as long as they have something to eat. So we leave residual hay on the field and then it covers up with snow in the, in the, in the snowy season. And then we, we literally uh, put in an electric line and, and, and ration it off for them. And they just graze right through the snow. They'll graze through a foot of snow uh, in the wintertime. Um, so we don't do any hang, um, but a lot of these skills, yeah, we, I, you know, I did a lot of reading. I spent a lot of time with the experts in the field, the Joel Salatins of the world, the Gabe Browns, who just wrote a great book called Dirt to Soil. He's a really neat guy. Uh, we spend a lot of time on uh, uh, conferences online. We'll do Zoom calls and, and share knowledge or somebody will host something. Uh, but a lot of it is just trial and error because one of the other principles of regenerative, regenerative agriculture is what works on your ranch won't work on mine. And that's just simple. That's just simply that diversity thing. I mean, unless you're my next door neighbor, which is pretty unusual, um, uh, it's just not going to work. Uh, you're going to have to take the principles, the tools that you have, and you're going to have to adapt them to the environment that you're in. Um, for example, we when we were raising chickens in California, we could do it all year round. When we got to the Wyoming ranch, they all died. I mean, it was 13 degrees below zero. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's obviously not going to work. Not to mention, we were then pushing against nature. We're not doing what nature is intending for us to do because the chickens can't live without heat and artificial whatever. Um, so we ended up changing our production schedule. Instead of doing, you know, 100 chickens a month for the whole year, we just did, uh, you know, a few thousand in the in the 90 days of really great warm weather where a chicken really does quite well. They have a body temperature of 105 degrees. So, so they're going to do much better in a 90 plus degree day than they are in a, a 42 degree day. Because they're going to devote too much of that caloric energy to keeping their body warm. How many farms do you uh, own? Well, we have three little, uh, two little operations and one big one. Um, and one of our first ones is just run by an intern. And then we've got staff on another one. And then uh, we've got the one I'm currently on the guest ranch in Wyoming. That's where I reside uh, most of the time because we've got the internship program and they require, you know, they just finished up here a few days ago. You know, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, so they all went home and, and, um, and, uh, you know, I was full-time teaching on, on that program because there's quite a bit involved in that, you know, they, they need a lot of hands-on instruction, but, but yeah, we've learned a lot from, uh, 
from, a, you know, we took a lot of our knowledge from books. We did a lot of just curiosity and reading. And then of course, when social media started to really come on strong, then you could group up with other people that were in the regenerative agriculture world. And you, you started to realize, man, I'm not the only one. That's, I think one of the greatest lies that we hear all the time is you're the only dude suffering through this right now. You know? And you're like, no, there's probably some other lunatic rancher sucker out there. That's probably, you know, eight feet deep in snow, trying to figure out how he's gonna, how he's going to survive this, you know? So, uh, yeah, so it's really nice to be a part of the community and, and that's come to fruition. I would say within the last few years is we're starting to see more and more of that. Um, I'm curious now. I, I was sorry, Sam. I kind of just real quick. I was I was checking your Instagram here. First of all, I saw this beautiful tri-tip. I'm trying to get people on the East Coast <laughs> to get into tri-tips. I don't know why we can't get yeah. nobody on the East Coast eats a tri-tip. It's the most. It's yeah, the it's, best. Oh, it's yep, the best. Yeah. Uh, but yep. now that makes me that makes me wonder about marketing. Uh, do you uh, how where where does most of your meat go? Is it, is it direct to directly to people? Uh, all of it? How, how's that work? Because I, well, I imagine you, that would be the the number one thing you'd first have to before you even endeavored on this, you'd have to make sure you could actually sell the meat, right? So you don't lose all your money. Yeah. You can grow the best crop in the world and not, not be able to move it. And you're, you're not going to have any cash flow when you're going to be out of business. Um, so you've got to focus on your customers and we've gone through a number of different evolutions over the years of how this works. We started very simply by just calling neighbors. Um, it depends on, I mean, we were in Southern California at the time. So calling your neighbors, you know, I mean, uh, there are, geez, there are towns in Southern California that outnumber the state I currently live in, just towns. So, you know, you've, we, we focused on LA, San Diego and Orange County. That's kind of where we built our base. That's where we have sort of a cult following. Uh, we've got a lot of, a lot of customer base down there and that's just great because then you've got consolidated delivery and that sort of thing, but it didn't just happen like that. I mean, we spent years and years building that customer base. We, we started going to farmer's markets and it was just one stand. It was my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and I and my wife. And we would just go and talk to people and tell them their stories. The difference is that the proof is in the pudding. Um, when you have our beef, when you have beef directly from a ranch that's dry aged, it just blows your mind. And so the, so the product really does sell itself. It's just a matter of convincing people to buy that. And sometimes at 13 bucks a pound, it takes a lot of convincing, but then they usually try it and go, man, I've never had anything like that before. No, you're not doing the aging, are you? You're not doing the aging, are you? Uh, what do you mean? The, yes, I mean, do, do. who's butchering? Are you, you actually have a butchering operation or is that is that a... We do. Yeah, we we that was part of the latter part of the evolution of the company is we decided that we needed to have our own uh, butcher plant because we could raise the best beef in the world and hand it to the butcher and yeah. he could get the instructions wrong and ruin it. Um, and so we actually just finished a, a lease on a, on a processing plant and we're building our own processing plant because we really need, not only do we need to have that quality control, but we also need the food security. Remember I mentioned that, you know, all the beef is controlled by four major companies. So yeah. the, the way that's structured is if, 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 if USDA, the big brother doesn't want small producers, all they got to do is come up with some wacky rule that some small producer can't abide by. Like, for example, you need to put in, a, we found a, a piece of metal in some ground beef one day. So you need to put in a, a you know, $450,000 metal detector uh, that all of your meat passes under to make sure that once it's packaged, there's no metal in it. Well, yeah, that's great for the guy that's got, you know, it's going to produce, you know, process three beef a week. He's never going to be able to afford that. So he's out of business and it's a federal regulation. So now they can't sell to anybody, right? You got to have that federal inspector with his federal stamp to, and his white lab coat that's able to tell whether or not an animal's safe to eat by just looking at it. That's, I still haven't yes. figured that one out. That makes no sense. Uh, yeah. So yeah. in order to, in order to play in the big kids game, you've got to play by the big kids rules. 
And frankly, they're bullies. And so small producers need to have control of their own facilities. And so we do a lot of custom beefing. Uh, so for example, when you buy a beef from us, we title it in your name. Most people don't realize that cattle have a title, like a car has a title. So, you know, Johnny, if you've got a, if you've got a, you know, a 2016 Acura or something and, 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 and you're driving it around all day, the bank could have the title because you have a lien on it. So it doesn't technically belong to you until they grant that title to you. So it's the same thing with cattle. If I sell you a cow live, we call the brand inspector. He looks it over for brands. And then they write an official sealed state endorsed title over to Johnny. And now Johnny owns it. I mean, it's his, right? I couldn't take it if I wanted to. And so we title the beef over to the customer. And once it's theirs, we're not running a commercial production facility. We're just, we're just, they've hired us to participate in the, in part of the processing. What is that works? So, so they produce their, they process their own cow. And now if the USDA comes out and says, Hey, metal detectors for everybody, we go, well, this, this is this guy's cow. He's, he's just cutting it up for himself. Mm, he, you can't touch I it. Love it. I love it. I love it. Life finds a way. Yeah, so, it's, it's the ultimate in food rebellion. I love it. You know, I mean, we we on the show have talked many times, especially with Greg Carwood, the war on farmers. Yep, uh, yep. You know, Trudeau is losing it. Denmark's losing it. You know, uh, thank God for the Internet. I mean, as much as they say the government, you know, DARPA, all that stuff, I don't know if it got away from them or whatever happened, but shows like this and it's higher side chats and all these, this information's getting out. People are waking up to this climate change BS that's going on that they're trying to use to uh, control farmers. Cause when you control, if you control the energy, you control the food, you control the money, you control people. And that's what they're doing. If you make food scarcity, okay. You, you use a scarcity model when it comes to food, you can control people, but abundance is out there. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. What, what do you think about what's been going on on a global scale to, to farmers? Well, you know, this harkens back to the earlier question. Can we do this nationwide? Could we make this work? The answer is when we took over the Wyoming ranch, they were running that as hard and as fast as they could, spraying as many chemicals on it, running, grazing it right to the ground. And they were carrying, are you ready for this? They were carrying 50 head of cattle, 50 head on a thousand acres. Wow. And we got here the first moment we got here, we changed the grazing and we, we, you know, the grasses respond. It takes about two to three years, but we changed the grazing. And within, within a year and a half's time, we were running 137 plus. We expect to be at 400 on the same acre acreage within the next five years. So we're talking, what, uh, eight times productivity on the same ground? Now, listen, Sam, if you've got a, if you've got a Tesla factory and you're building Teslas, which I know you don't, <laughs> But if you're building Teslas and some genius comes up to you and says, hey, boss, we can produce eight times the cars we're producing with the same overhead. What do you think? You know, if yeah. it's doable, you'd sign on to that in a second. Let's go. So my point is this. We are not producing in abundance because our hands are tied in the conventional systems. If we eliminate chemicals, if we start grazing the cattle properly, if we start managing the grasses, not the cows, if we start thinking about the ecosystem, the surrounding erosion systems, the all the things that the plants and animals need, if we, if we start doing things right, we will become productive because nature is abundantly productive. That's the same principle of people healing, right? The muscle that we tore apart in the gym is going to heal and it's going to heal bitter, bigger, better, stronger. My wife's gut that had to go through leaky gut syndrome, 
and, and, you know, had that autoimmune disease, it healed because we treated it right. Nature will heal. It is extremely forgiving. I mean, it's a surprising to me that we're still alive right now as a society. So if we can, if we can educate and train and get the ranchers into understanding what they're actually doing, uh, and you don't have to be a genius. I mean, this stuff kind of comes a lot naturally if they can see it happen and the, and those, you know, the veil falls from their eyes, we could have, we could produce way more than we're producing right now. I, I concur, man. I think the universe is abundance and will, will provide if you show it love and, and respect mother nature. So I want to get into what can I, what can I, what can Johnny, Xavier, the, the swarm, that's who listens to the show. What can they do <laughs> to help small farmers help small ranchers? What can we do? Find one, find one, get one. It doesn't have to be us. Just go find one, go find somebody that's near. If you're in LA, go find the nearest one you can find. But if you're out in a rural area, they shouldn't be hard to find, find one and get involved. Say, Hey, okay, what are you producing? How can I get it? It could be as simple as, as you know, just getting eggs from somebody, right? Because now you're supporting your dollar, which is extremely powerful as weakened as it is. And as much as the higher, whatever is messed with it. Um, you can, you can actually have that go. If you can get it to the right person, it can become extremely valuable. It can become very productive. So the first thing I would say is connect with somebody that's actually producing food and find a way to support them. A lot of people do it through a farmer's market, but the farmer's markets have become, eh, they've become a little tainted. We actually left farmer's markets because there was so much kind of goofery going on. There were people selling meats that they were just buying on the you know, market. Nobody was actually, and it's not too hard. You could spend a week with us and you'd have all the right questions to ask. ask. I was about and to you'd ask see you. right through, you'd see right through a you. phony. Yeah. You can notice that, right? I'm guessing a farmer, like you can go into it. Cause that farmer's market, I believe oh, them. Yeah. I believe anything, but you could tell, is it the color or just the, too much? Just, you just gotta, you just gotta talk to the people and ask questions. It's really yeah, simple. I mean, yeah. yeah. So if somebody raises, you know, if somebody says, Hey, I'm raising cattle, I go, Oh, you know, you can ask. And I used to do this. I'd, I'd take this thing off. Right. And I and I'd wear flip flops and put a put a hat on backwards and go into a farmer's market and just pretend like a dummy. Uh-huh. It was amazing. It was one of my we used to, you know, we used to do it for fun. If, if people wouldn't recognize me when we were younger, you know, a lot. Of, but, you know, as I've gotten What's older and question? uglier, people are like, hey, I recognize that guy. What's a question we can ask out here in L.A.? Let's say I do want to get a how do how what's a question I can ask him and be like, OK, he 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 he's a rancher. He's doing. His yeah, shit. great. That's an excellent. Uh, so we dedicated an entire website, sun-riseranch.com, which links to the store It links to the whole beef program. And it links to the, to our, our, our uh, guest ranch, but that's the hub, right? That's, and that's the one that doesn't sell you anything. You can read articles on there that will enlighten you in terms of how animals should be raised. And you can develop your own set of questions. We don't have them written out, but let's take, for example, that Instagram of that egg that we talked about, right? You can say, well, well, how, how do you raise your chickens? And they'll go, well, we just put them out in one area. Well, if you read my articles, you can see that if chickens don't move on a daily basis, they, they, chickens have this really neat mantra. It's called two steps and poop. Chicken manure is extremely high in nitrogen. And if it's left, if a chicken is left in one area too long, they'll turn it into concrete for you. I mean, it'll be poop concrete. They'll graze everything right down to the nub. So if you're not rotating your chickens out on pasture, you're going to get rapidly high and increasing levels of nitrogen in those soils. And they're going to become denuded, which means basically bare. And the chicken won't, won't have any, any forage to, to feed on. And, and the soils will begin to deplete really rapidly. So you have to move your chickens very, very quickly. 
exactly. So you can, you can go and look at that egg, that picture of that egg that we talked about, and it'll say, these are the things you kind of want to look for in an egg. Well, then just develop a set of questions that comes yeah. naturally for you. I could give you a set, but then you'd sound like a recording. <laughs> you could uh, send a, a questions that kind of are sort of like an investigative reporter. And then you can pop into the, uh, uh, to the, to the egg stand there with the lady that's selling eggs or whatever and go, well, tell me about how you raise your chickens. You know, what, how does this, what, what, what kind of thing? And if they're using keywords like, oh, free range. Okay. Well, what does that mean to you? What, what does actually free range mean? But in order to ask that question intelligently, you've got to have some background knowledge. Yeah. And so we ask you to come on to sunriseranch.com and, and, you know, just do some reading, just spend a lot of time reading through, you know, how should pigs be raised? You know, where, where should they live? What, what kind of nutrients do they produce? These are things that would be basic to anybody that's in a regenerative agriculture system or in a, in a uh, farming things, right? They should, know. Yeah, here's the thing. If you ask me some of those questions, I can't shut up. I mean, I just proved that to you for like the last two hours, right? <laughs> if you go to a farmer's market and some dope is there and they don't want to talk about their chickens, they're not chicken raisers. They should be so excited. They're foaming at the mouth. Hey, let me tell you about how I raise my chickens. It's the coolest thing ever. And they do this for the environment and they do this for the water cycle and or their cows or whatever. So you can, you can develop a set, you can educate yourself and then go get connected with a rancher. And that, that'll really help, that'll really help uh, muddle through all those fancy labels and keywords that really don't mean anything. Are there things that we, in our modern day society, do that actually hurt your efforts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, there are. Um, you know, we, uh, we don't get too much into politics because one, I'm a libertarian, so I please nobody. Uh, and <laughs> I make everyone mad. Uh, but, uh, we do occasionally get asked, uh, for example, on certain initiatives that are coming out. Like, uh, there, there was one recently where, um, uh, they had to, to, uh, I don't know, outlaw farrowing crates. If you know what a farrowing crate is, that's, that's a crate that they put a mama pig into and, and it's designed so that she, mama pigs are huge. They're like 400 pounds. We've got a bunch here and their piglets are literally like that big. They're like the size of my hat. I mean, they're extremely small and they weigh, well, oh, geez, a pound and a half or two pounds on the day they're born. And by the way, for all you mothers out there, there's like eight or 12 of them and they all come with teeth. So imagine that in terms of a sucky job, right? You gotta <laughs> yeah, lay, yeah. Yeah, your job's to roll over and let eight oh. or 12 creatures with teeth teeth uh suckle on you talk it's about the funniest it. Yeah, thing in the yeah. world to watch though if you've ever oh, watched a whole yes. bunch of them feed at the same time it's hilarious it's cute and they're, they're yeah. quite characters pigs have great personalities so these farrowing crates are designed right for a pig in confinement to to not roll over on her piglets and so there was an initiative about a year ago and we had we wrote an article because a bunch of our customers wrote in and said what do we say about this what do we what's our position and i go you know i don't really know but this is kind of what i had in mind and it was about how they needed to outlaw the farrowing crates because they were cruel and unusual and the problem was this was the biggest problem we're trying to use laws to correct behaviors that should should never have been that we shouldn't have incurred in the first place i mean we, we, when we farrow our pigs we do them out in the open they just, they just got, look, listen, pigs have been really good at having piglets for like thousands of years, man. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be the guy that comes on the scene and goes, Hey, I got a new idea. This will work perfectly. 
No, no. We just put our pit, we get them bred and then we put them out in, in you know, kind of in the open. We make sure that there's no predators around and we make sure that they're alone because uh, pigs, mama pigs will eat other little baby piglets. And we make sure the boar's gone because he'll eat the piglets. We just make sure she's alone. And guess what? She'll do a really good job of not rolling over on her pigs, on her little baby piglets. And if she does, guess what? She gets the red mark of death. She goes to Camp Butcher. She goes to the freezer for the weekend, right? We say, oh, well, you're out. You rolled over on your piglets. You know, I mean, I can't keep you. The problem oh, was wow. these farrowing crates, it rolled over and killed them. You know, she suffocates them. These farrowing crates were part of the conventional industrial hog farm system where it's all confined and temperature controlled and washed out with water. And they've got manure lagoons in the back because that's where all the manure goes. And, and it's an industrial system. So you're voting on, you're voting on an industrial aspect for an industrial system. I can't tell you how to vote. And, but yet a whole bunch of people voted that way. And guess what? All the pork producers said, that's it. We're out of California. Cause they said, no, it's just too expensive to, I mean, number one, it's too hazardous. We can't just have you know, we don't know how to free range pigs. So nobody has that kind of not those large industrial systems. They can't do it economically on the level that they that they were doing it before. So they would <coughs> if they did comply by that law, they'd be, you know, unsustainable uh, economically. Uh, so they basically just pulled out and said, well, you guys find your bacon somewhere else. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Oh, go on. Sorry. Well, so that was that was, you know, that was a vote, right, that the Californians and, and this is the biggest problem, I think, is people do things to appease their comp, their their conscience. I understand that, especially when it comes to animals. And so they'll make a vote and they'll say, OK, we want that policy. And, and there I've done my part. Well, actually, you haven't. You made the problem worse. What you needed to do is go find a real rancher that's doing things the right way and give your 10 or 12 bucks for bacon to him instead of these these charlatans and characters that are ruining the ecosystem. Uh, what are your thoughts on Bill Gates and whether he's buying up all this land? Yeah, so he is buying up the land. That's actually a thing. Um, and it is really happening. There's also a large number of environmental groups that are taking uh, gigantic swaths of land. And they're, they're saying, uh, we want to just get the land so that there can't be any federally issued grazing or anything like that. This is where it gets really sketchy. So this will get me rocks. Let's see, I'll get rocks thrown at me from the right on this one, I think. Um, if, if you were really trying to protect the environment, that would actually seem like a logical conclusion. And just bear with me on this. You could actually come to that conclusion. You, you, if you put yourself in those people's sandals for a few minutes, you'll, you'll say to yourself, wait a second, I got billions and uh, what do I want to do to help the environment? But let me ask you this, guys on the right and ranchers that are wearing cowboy hats, uh, if you're out there, What's perpetuating that? Why are they doing that? It's because they're driving by your ranch and seeing abuse of land year after year after year. They're seeing erosion. They're seeing water systems and watersheds damaged. If you change your management, you'll become a shining light rather than an example of what not to do. And then those guys will go, well, yeah, sure, I'll buy up land, but I want a regenerative agriculture rancher guy that's going to increase water flows, you know, protect the environment, see things better, healthier animals, right? Less abuse of the animals, better grazing, uh, better soils, better plant management. So, you know, I think we have a, I, I, yeah, it's easy to beat up on the Bill Gates and all that stuff. And I'm obviously not a fan of that, you know, taking land just out of production, uh, which by the way, theoretically, have you ever seen anything in nature that doesn't have animals? associated with it, right? We, you never see anything that doesn't have animals. And my question for those guys that are buying all this land is, well, what kind of animals are you going to put there? 
You think you're going to go back to the buffalo? Okay, what's going to prey on the buffalo? Oh, you're going to have wolves? Okay, and how are you going to contain those wolves? Oh, that's right. So we're going to, you know, what we're only going to have wolves on your ranch. They're not going to come over to my ranch, yeah. which is right next door. So you've got a really complex problem. I, I Listen, it, it'd be great if we could just all drift back to the past and live live blissfully like the Native Americans. And all that stuff. But hey, listen, we already built the, the swimming pools in I-5. Okay, it's already in. The fence lines are up. The cities are there. It's already been done. We really need to come up with a solution that works right now. And that's not just buying land and taking every animal off of it. On the other hand, it's also not just buying up all the land and abusively grazing it for the last penny in profit. I, uh, I just think that there's just a narrative being put out there to demonize certain things and that people, especially we see in these big cities that are super liberal you know, talk. I used to have a joke about everyone's like zoos treat animals like shit. I'm like, you know, treats animals even worse. Mother nature. I mean, the murder rate is <laughs> yeah. like 100 percent. Oh, oh I mean, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get a, occasionally we'll get a phone call. One of my favorite phone calls is is as, uh, you know, somebody with a sociology degree that calls and says, uh, and I'm just joking about that. I don't know if that's really true. Uh, <laughs> hey, are your animals butchered humanely? And I go, uh, ma'am. There's no humane way to kill anything. I said, uh, by comparison, they're slightly less or they're slightly more humane than nature because nature, what nature does is it chases you down while you're running at full speed and bites your neck until you bleed to death. Yeah. Does that work for you? Yeah. <laughs> I go, man, I go, listen, we're, we're much more humane than that. I care about my animals. You know, I, I actually, you know, I mean, I, I really care about my animals. So I'm like, ah, I don't want to see you get chased down and eaten alive. Uh, so perhaps maybe we just do it this way. And when it's your time to go, we like to say that our animals live a great life and have one bad moment. Okay. Uh -huh. But it is far better, far better than nature. You're absolutely right. It's brutal. Nature is really tough. I and, mean, I, and by the way, for you folks that are vegetarians who say, oh, well, I don't want to kill anything. Hey, listen, right now you're killing things on the order of billions. There are more ba bacteria killing stuff inside your stomach than there are people on the face of the earth right now in terms of well in and terms then of the way i mean the way they harvest crops i mean all the all the mice die in those fields all i mean just it's a slaughter of mice any any bugs that are in those fields they're all destroyed when they when the way they harvest crops well that, yeah you know in the modern agriculture uh right yeah now. they just had a massive outbreak of e coli in wheat now, if you're tracking with really? me, E. coli, it comes from the intestines of an animal, right? Yeah. So how did that get into wheat? Well, it's really Ugh. simple. Yeah, all the mice and all the small animals got chopped up into the grain and put into the grain harvest. And that's how the E. coli came through. Do you produce, do you make any like mass crops? Do you have any, any huge crops out there that you, that you produce? No, we don't. We, we only graze grass. Now, one of the things we're working on that we want to move towards, but we're not there yet is, is I'm not. I'm a rancher, not much of a farmer. So we've got a, you know, we've got a vegetable crop here that we put in for uh, the cookhouse and for our guests on the guest ranch. Uh, we don't sell any of that. It's just used for our own production. And of course we eat from that because it's imperative that we're at optimal health. And so we don't eat processed foods. You know, if we make anything, we make it from scratch, uh, whether it's for the family or otherwise. Um, and then we will buy, you know, we'll buy organically raised whole grains and we'll actually grain our, uh, grind our own grain if we're ever going to have bread, which is pretty rare in the family and that sort of a thing. We do that a lot for guests, but that's a separate kind of entity uh, right next door. We, you know, we have a, a cook staff over there that does that sort of a thing. Uh, but as far as that's a great question is how do I raise pigs and how do I raise chickens? Well, we go and we go to an organic farmer in Montana and he's really good at that. And so we buy our grains from him and then we come back 
and we uh, we grind them uh, 48 hours, generally speaking. 40, if you do it a lot longer than that, it'll lose nutritional value, and then your animals won't, won't gain quite as much. So we have our own grain grinder, and we mix our own custom seed uh, mixtures you know, from our wheat wow. and our uh, peas and that sort of thing. Um, and, and we put everything together and then we, we have our own ratios for protein amounts and that sort of thing. And then we feed that directly to our, our monogastrics, which are the pigs and the chickens. Um, Doug, is there like any organizations, you know, like I'm part of a gun owners of America. So like I I'm pro second amendment. So like I support them. Is there any organization that is helping small ranchers like yourself that if people want to get behind them, support them either through, you know, just emails or financially or anything like that. Is there any organization? Well, there's, there, you know, I'm sure that there are, <laughs> um, we, we have our own kind of regenerative agriculture network. The problem with the organizations is, is they start off great and then they take on a life of their own. Yeah. And, and, and then the, the object of the organization becomes the organization. Now, one of my, there's a few that are not like that. One of my favorites is farm to consumer legal defense association, FDLA. And what they do is we pay, I think 130 bucks a year. And those folks will come uh, and, and defend us. If the USDA shows up here with their guns drawn, because we've produced milk. Oh my goodness. You can, you can hand out cocaine, but you can't produce milk. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and we've had a number of, of folks who have had their entire inventories thrown out into the dumpster because uh, it wasn't stamped correctly or because something was wrong. Remember, these are the, all the laws, Sam, are, are, are associated and directed towards exclusion, not inclusion. So yeah. all the food safety laws that say food safety are not about food safety. Okay. They're absolutely not about food safety. In other words, if I produce a meat product and I or a, a, a meat pie, right, uh, some sort of casserole with meat in it from my own ranch that I raised myself, it, number one, it's going to be of superior quality because it did it did very little processing and I was in in charge of the entire process from beginning to end. If I if I make that, if I bake it in my kitchen and hand it to you, Sam, it, it, for free, it's perfectly legal. There's there's nothing wrong with. There's no food safety issues at all. Sam's going to be totally fine. Everybody's just a-okay. If I charge you one penny for that, I've committed a federal violation. Now explain that to me. How is that food safety? That's not food safety. That's market exclusion. You use the yes. wrong words. That's one of the favorite techniques right now of our, of our overbearing bloated government system is they just simply change words out. They just say, oh, well, you didn't mean that. You meant this. No, I actually meant that, right? So when they're saying food safety, they're not saying food safety. They're saying market exclusion. In other words, hey, you didn't run that for, through a $450,000 metal detector first. I mean, what's, what's wrong with you? You're committing a federal violation, right? When in fact, Sam, I was just trying to feed Sam and his family, and I was just trying to make a living. So that's why we tell people connect directly with a rancher. Don't try to go through X, Y, or Z. Don't, you know, you can appease your conscience by going to Whole Foods and paying 26 bucks a pound for something, but you're not supporting anybody but another industrial system. You can yeah. read an article on our, on our blog about um, grass-fed versus, um, actually, the article is called You've Been Duped, and it was, it's one of our most popular blogs, and it's, it's all about how the labeling system has allowed grass-fed beef to be labeled grass-fed if the animal ate grass at any time in its life. In other words, Sam, if I gave you an orange today, tomorrow, you'd be orange fed. Yeah. It doesn't mean you ate oranges exclusively. It means you ate an orange. So the language fed in the English language fed means past tense. It was fed something, right? So, you know, you can't find a cow on the face of the earth that didn't eat grass once in its life. 
And yet now I can, I can produce grass fed beef. I can feed it grass once or twice and then give it whatever I want elsewise. And I can, I can now label it and say, well, this is grass fed and people go to whole foods and they pay 26 bucks a pound or 50 bucks a pound and go, well, it's grass fed. I'm, I'm supporting the environment. I feel great. Yeah. Okay. Go home and appease yourself. You haven't connected with a real rancher who's doing real work and you haven't secured that relationship, you know, and Again, this is not a sales pitch for us. I mean, go find a different rancher. I don't care. We've got plenty of customers. Just go find somebody and say, look, this is my guy. He raises our beef for us. We get a half a cow from him every year. He's the dude, right? You know, you want to know where the beef came from? You go to his place. That's where it came from. <laughs> I can I, I completely agree. And, you know, it gets down to local versus corporations. You know, I mean, I'm from an upstate New York in a small town. You'll drive down downtown. And there, half the shops are gone because there's a giant Walmart that everyone go, wants to go to. But what are you doing in the long run? Yeah, you're saving a couple bucks here and there, but in the long run, you're 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 losing your community. Yeah, you know, oh, you're, you're raising your children up, and they're gonna there's gonna be no options out there for them. They're gonna have to go get these these soulless jobs with hourly paychecks. Pay a little more bucks. Go get something from the hardware store from the guy that lives down the street. Go buy, you know, your meat from a farmer nearby. It, it goes a long way. We've gotten away from local. We're thinking, and the inter, and that might be part of the internet as well. That might be the negative side. Everything is national. Nothing is local. Politics are no longer local. Pay attention to everything going on in the local level, man. That's Absolutely. what really affects you. You like driving down the main street of your city with empty stores everywhere? Those used to be thriving businesses that Amazon, which is an extension of the U.S. government, has come and shut down. Get out yeah. of your house. Get some light. Go buy something from someone you know in the neighborhood, man. Yeah. And when it comes to food, man, there's no greater connection. There's a reason that Jesus Christ, every post-resurrection narrative of him, he was eating. There's some connection with food. There's absolutely some connection. There's got to be. I mean, uh, we, ex we experience a fellowship, a level of fellowship on the human level that's so different when it comes to production of food, harvesting of food, and eating of food. I don't know what it is. It's just I can't describe it. I can't understand it. But we will have people come to the guest ranch and they will be, you know, that typical East Coast and <laughs> just as cold as can be. They're not like us West Coasters, but they're great folks. Nonetheless, they're just real quiet. You sit down for dinner with them and they just open up. They're like, oh, man, this tastes so good. We're Yeah, we raised that, you know, that pork chop you're eating right there. We raised it on the ranch. It was actually raised right out in that field out there. No kidding. Tell me about that. All of a sudden, the whole world becomes open to them. There is a real fellowship that happens when you come one to one and start to commerce with people and connect with them, and especially at the level of food. And I think that's because when we take those nutrients and you and I sit down and we split a steak right down the middle, you and I are eating from the very same thing that is that is actually making us. We are producing muscle meat. Uh, we're producing blood and, and, and we're breathing and eating the same thing. So there's a level. That's, that's not like playing a baseball game together. I mean, that's fun. Don't get me wrong. Making that's not like bread, throwing the football man. back and forth. There's something. We are actually making our bodies. We're in the process of actually growing ourselves. And it's coming from the same source. There's a deep connection that happens there. So do you, and I totally agree. There's breaking back. Like when I was young, you know, uh, when we go see my grandparents, Sunday was spaghetti night. And my cousin Frank in Phoenix does spaghetti, where all the family comes over. There's something about breaking bread together yeah, and sitting absolutely. down reconnecting that I want to get back to 
and um, with, you know, whatever families in town or whoever are my friends in town to come back and eat Dana's award winning spaghetti. Um, are your kids getting into um, th- this as well? Do they have the passion for it like you do? Or are they like, Dad, I want to work on a farm. I want to play video games. Or, or are they into what you're doing and understand like what you're doing and how important it is? Yeah, they, they absolutely are. The first thing that we did with our kids was we showed them, number one, that it is rewarding. And that can be either rewarding by just doing some work and actually accomplishing something. I mean, if you go out and clear brush in a day, when you drive in every day and night, you know, from the, uh, from the outside of the ranch into the, into the back into this part of the ranch, you pass that work that you've done and you get to see it progress. That's the first thing. The second thing we did is we involved, we had three kids. We involved them to some degree or another in the profit side of things. We didn't just make them work for free. Well, what kind of message am I sending you? I mean, that ranching doesn't pay. That's exactly what I'm sending. We paid them and we paid them a good wage. And then we gave them more and more responsibility. They're all older now. My kids are, I'm, I'm an old dude. So my kids are, are, are having kids. I just had my first grandchild recently and that's pretty awesome. It's, uh, Congratulations, it's just, dude. yeah, it's just so cool. I wish I would have done that first, but the point is, you know, so we have the kids. And so when we sit down to make a decision in the company, if it's something fairly big, I sit down and I bring all of them in and I go, Hey, I want to know what your take is on this. They're, they're, they are invested in it. They, they need to be invested in number one, they're going to be part of this long after I'm gone. We have, we have a Creek restoration project on the Wyoming ranch that were, that's uh, eroded the, the Creek here has eroded 20 and 30 feet at times. And that's because of poor grazing for this ranch was founded in uh, the 1860s. And so there's been over a hundred years of poor grazing and we're the first ones to come in and and change that. So we have a plan that that involves putting in uh, beaver analog dams and then eventually reintroducing the beaver because that slows the creek. Slowing the creek deposits sediment, sediment builds the, the erosion back, it reverses erosion. Well, that plan, and we have to plant trees, we have to plant all the habitat, then we got to transfer the beaver in, that, that happens in seven years. When we sat down and wrote that plan, we involved all the kids. Why? Because <laughs> they're going to finish it. I mean, I'm, I'm barely going to get it started. I'm an old dude, right? I mean, if I last a really long time, I might get to see half the creek put back in. But it took them all over 130 years to destroy this creek. It's going to take them 100 years to put it back. So they have to be invested in that. We needed their input as, as stakeholders and, and as family members, because I ain't keeping this place. I'm not taking it with me. When was the last time you saw a, a, a hearse with a, a U-Haul behind it? I mean, I got, it's, it's going to them, right? I'm leaving the, I'm going to check out one day and be like, that whole mess is yours, man. You fix it. And I got you started, but you're, you're repairing fence on the, on the back, on the back 800 for the next 10 years. Not me. I'm too old for that stuff. So the point is they're getting it right. And, and they live, uh, one of the, one of the kids, uh, they're, uh, my grandkid, my new grandchild and, and her mom and dad live just 50 feet away in a log cabin that was built in about, about the 1930s, oh, just, just to the right of us. So we can throw a rock and hit their house and they have dinner with us every night. The point is, <laughs> you've got to, if you're going to be a ranching family, you've got to involve the kids and they've got to feel like they're stakeholders and they've got to be rewarded for it. They need to get paid, right? You're not the only one that can get a paycheck. You can't just you know, we've seen those bumper stickers that I'm, I'm spending my kids inheritance, man, I ain't spending a penny. They're getting yeah. everything. All right. They, <laughs> they've worked hard for it. They know they've worked hard for it and they've given us their input and they've put their backs into it. So, so a lot of that is involving them. And then also becoming a part of that community. When we go out and we do, you know, we, we're really involved in the community. If we go out and do, um, 
you know, a cookie jar auction or a fundraiser or go to the rodeo and participate in the rodeo. The whole family's there. We, we bring the whole family. We want to be a part of the community. We want people to say, oh yeah, that's those, that's those lunatic rancher guys. But <laughs> one unified effort. You can make us pariahs, but we're going to all be pariahs together. It's going to be one unified effort. They're going to know that that family is involved in that. And that when the grasses change on that ranch and when they're carrying eight times the cows you're carrying, they're the folks responsible. Not that lunatic guy, but his whole family's responsible. Doug, I love it. So, Doug, man, I really want to help you out. Not that you need my help, but uh, so can you tell us one more time where they can, uh, where our listeners can find you if they want to apply for the internship, how they can yeah. support you or where they can go and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the starting point is sun, S-O-N dash rise ranch.com, sun dash rise ranch.com. From there, that links to the store. Uh, so if you click on store, you're going to, you're going to hit sunrise ranch store, sunrise ranch store is monthly boxes. So it's a box. It's 14 pounds. It shows up either month, every month or every other month. That's for your, your really small apartment dweller or somebody that's maybe single or that sort of a thing. Probably not a family. So you can join and become a member there, or you can click on, on, uh, uh, um, uh, not uh, see non-member. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, see our members only inventory. Nope. It's back up. It's, it's, uh, uh, you'll have to edit this out. It's become a member. Okay. <laughs> you'll click on become a member. And then you can click on a uh, whole half and quarter beefs at the top in the gray menu. It's the second, it's the second one down. And that's going to take you, uh, go scroll up and, uh, whole half and quarter beefs. There you go. And that's going to take you to local-beef.com. Now this is a kind of a, this is a website that looks exactly like it, but this is the one where we title the cow in your name and butcher it just for you. And it's totally customizable. You can buy a half a cow, a whole cow, a quarter nice. of a cow, and they come in five different sizes. We, we made up the sizes. They're like latte, grande, breve, whatever. We just made them up. <laughs> we just, cause we had to choose five different sizes. And there's, there's information on there. If you click on what's included at the top, it's pretty cool. It'll show you. It's literally uh, a breakdown, what's included in the red and white at the top on the far right. It's a breakdown literally down to the pound of, of based on whatever size beef you get. If you scroll down, you'll see there's you know five those five different sizes. And we'll show you exactly by color code how many of each individual cut is. This is like a plethora of information. It's almost too much for people, but that, that shows you how to buy a whole beef. Uh, at the bottom on the left-hand side in black and white, uh, uh, on the oh. left-hand menu in black and white, um, uh, where is that left side menu? Yeah, I, there you go. There go. It'll say visit our, uh, all the way down about our ranch, visit us. And then all the way down at the bottom of that. Sorry. This is not very clear. It's not your, fault. uh, and then visit our farm or visit our ranch. You can visit by clicking here. It's the very last sentence. And this takes you to, this takes you to regenagbnb.com. So we have basically four websites because we kind of do four different things. This is visiting the, the, a production ranch. This is visiting a real working regenerative agriculture ranch. This is where the interns come for the summer. This is where we host families that stay for as little as three days or as much as a week. We have people come from Europe that, that come to stay with us. They, they choose, you know, different adventures and activities. The, the guest ranch has, if you go to adventures and activities, it's the next one down under what to expect. Yeah, that's okay. it. Uh, so there's horseback riding every day. There's, there's cattle gathering. There's horseback riding lessons. This is a true immersion in the Western experience. We, we, can take, we, we go to a rodeo. We go whitewater rafting. We go to the world's largest mineral hot springs. So those are like an all-inclusive stay. We also offer a la carte stays where you can just come for a day and learn stuff. Um, we're going to get into, uh, we're, we're actually talking about doing some pretty exciting things. We want to do a uh, 
uh, a ranching 101 kind of there's a picture of the of the Wyoming ranch uh, a ranching 101 kind of course where somebody that's say an accountant you know wants to come and stay for a week and be like hey just immerse me in in regenerative agriculture i've never built a fence before in my life and i'm retiring next week and we bought you know property in in idaho and i don't even know how to repair a fence so you can it. do all kinds of stuff uh here on on the guest ranch and and we can we've tailored it to people who just want to come and hang out to people who you can see i'm teaching classes on you know how do we how do we graze cattle right what what is that like they get to see cattle for the first time some people have never even seen that which kind of blows my mind but it's fun I think hunting so, as well. Right. Yeah, so we have we uh, we're in our hunting season right now, which started uh, about a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we are in in two of the most popular elk, deer, and and uh, uh, moose hunting areas in all of the state of Wyoming. And of course, we have cabins here, and we provide meals. And so guys will come out, and they'll they'll the hunters are actually kind of our sort of our favorite group of folks. They're just well, one, they're gone all day. <laughs> so they show up late at night and they're super hungry and they're always very polite and they're just, they're, they're very respectful. Most hunters are really, really careful about uh, just by nature of the fact that they're, what they're doing is being careful what land, where they're putting their feet. So they, they understand the environment, they understand animals, that sort of thing. So we end up uh, having, hosting a lot, of, a lot of hunters here. And then, yeah, if you click buy from our ranch, it, it circles you back to sunriseranchstore.com. So the, the whole thing is a gigantic vacuum that you can get sucked into. We have people that have written us and said, man, I was on your website. I, I was on there for like two and a half hours. And I go, yeah, well, the blog is, you know, you can get stuck in the blog for an eon and it'll, you know, of course you, it's, it's, it's hopefully educational and at least partly exciting for you. Well, I love it, Doug, man. It was a real honor to talk to you. I want to put a banner on my website. We'll take everybody to uh, your website. Cause I want to help. And uh, man, you're a class act and it was an honor to talk to you. And so thank you so much for coming on our show. And I hope we can do it again down the line. I have a show called the, uh, the union of the unwanted and, We'll probably get in some agriculture stuff. So I'm going to have Mark email you. And if you can join us on that, that'd be great too. But I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I've, I've been anticipating this, this uh, interview for a long time and you knocked it out of the park and it was an all time great. And it's just really good to know that people like you are out there and all the great work that you're doing. And it gives a little, it gives a lot of hope to people that are just constantly has the news on or on social media with all the doom and gloom. So thank you so much for coming on, man. You bet, Sam. It was a real pleasure guys. It was great meeting you and thank you for uh, setting this up. I really appreciate it. It's been, oh. been really fun. Um, guys, I'm going uh, Check out Doug's whole thing. Check out it and support him and support your local farmers. I think it's really important that we do this. Support all local stuff. Go our local artists, lo local, whatever they're creating, go support, man. That's more important. It's I'm telling you, it's all local. We took our eyes off the ball. We started looking at everything on a federal and international level and forgot about the local. Take care of your community, man. And just go to samtribly.com for all your needs, and we'll do it again soon. Guys, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for the support. I love you, Swarm, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hacking. Tim foil hacking.